Hello, hello, beautiful So Welcome to the Unapologetically Abundant Podcast. I'm your host, Petya Kolibova, an alignment women's coach who guides women to intuitively connect with their inner vision so they can experience personal and professional magnetism and become unapologetically abundant. My mission is to empower visionaries who are on the path to embody their fullest self-expression, to soulfully expand into a quantum leap in all dimensions of their lives. Each week, I will be offering an interview or an idea that will support you to leave behind what isn't serving you anymore and create a life filled with freedom, abundance, purpose, and even bigger impact in this world. No more hiding, no more playing it small. It's time to step up and up-level your life now. Hello, hello, Abundant Soul. Welcome to another episode of Unapologetically Abundant Podcast. And I can promise you, this is going to be probably more unapologetic than abundant. However, when we step into that unapologetic part today, I promise you, it's going to enrich your life for future generations like nothing before because today we have with us Nathan Rayleigh and I get to admit to you when I was still pregnant I was stacking every and each of his stories and posts because he is the pure embodiment of what it can look like and feel like when women are supported by their doctor in home birth when they are really guided informed and educated and that's something that thankfully I experienced in my pregnancy and I know so many women don't so if you're planning a baby if you're pregnant if you just gave birth to baby or period if you just want to learn about female reproduction systems and and fertility and all of that it has to do with future generations you are at the perfect spot Nathan I am so thankful for your work you have no idea (laughs) well uh what can I say to that I um I do put out a lot of like public facing you know free education and um, the buy-in, I think, for my work is that if you're willing to take accountability for what you're doing in this world, how you're showing up in this world, even outside of your own health, then you're in my tribe. Like I, I want to be able to support you. So if if uh, if found my work in that way, um, Petia, then um, then you're in my tribe. And and whenever a tribe's person says, "Hey, you've been helpful to me," I feel like that's the ultimate uh, the ultimate. Um, sort of source of gratitude in my life. So um, it's my pleasure. And thank you for following along and having me on your show. Thank you. And before we go to million questions that I have for you and that I really want women to hear, because I feel like if we can educate ourselves and then do the choice, then it's empowered choice, whatever you choose to do, right? I'm not here to judge anyone. I am here to give Uh choices and education, even though I might not agree with some things like, Whatever you want to do with your life, body, and family, that's your thing. But if you're not educated and you don't know, and then you're following just others, then I feel like it's disempowered choices. So before we go into those questions, I'm curious when and why, in, in short, because I know it can be a long story, you left the conventional medical system. And why did you choose to be supporting women in home birth? Well, for me, uh, the issue, 
a lot of people are, are probably going to be surprised by this answer. A lot of people think I, I am like hell-bent on ending the maternity care system in the United States, and I want to see hospitals and doctors and labor and delivery nurses crumble, and I want to see something new emerge. I don't think that that's a, a reasonable goal in our lifetime. But what I will say is that there are a variety of conditions um, through which a woman has a lot of her autonomy stripped away. Right. And so the first part of this is how can we prevent those conditions from arising, which is still kind of playing by the rules. On the other hand, at the end of the day, it's not my job to tell you that you should have a C-section or your baby needs to come out through the abdomen or that you need to have an induction or whatever else. Like you said, it's not my job to tell you that. But if I can only offer certain things and not therefore counsel you on the alternatives because I'm not trained to do those things, that's where we end up in a sticky situation. So if if I'll use vaginal breech birth when a baby's butt down, if I want to claim that I'm an expert in childbirth, but I can't attend three, four percent of the babies that are butt down at 37 weeks, then I'm not an expert. So the simple is I wanted to be an expert in childbirth. And so I started working with the real experts in childbirth with which are very much midwives. And when you start to open up your toolbox, you can serve a lot more people and keep them intact, not just physically. Of course, having a C-section is relatively safe in that moment. Not, you know, it's not really necessarily all that safe for the maternal neonatal bonding. It's not necessarily safe for you from a recovery standpoint or in your future pregnancies. But in the moment, yeah, a C-section is safe. But what if? I, um, what if I was able to offer you a wider range of options because my toolkit is a little bit broader, then we can actually get into this flow of conversation. And, and when we actually look at what happens in the home birth scenario with midwives, most of these births go just fine and we're not injuring people on a mental, emotional, or spiritual level, like compelling them to do the things that the doctors are trained well to do but can't do any of the alternatives. And therefore you kind of funneled into that. So for me, it was like, hey, if I want to practice medicine, I need to continue to grow my skills. And I can't do that in the hospital system. It's just not permitted. Um, so that's the the short answer. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And, you know, I remember when I was pregnant and, you know, started reading a lot of books and it's just like I, I went to like a rabbit hole, right? And then I read in some places that you cannot pass like 42 weeks or they will induce you. And if you are a breach, you have to have a C-section. So it's safe for you. And so I talked to my midwife. I'm like, what are you going to do if I'm 42 weeks? She was like, nothing. Just see how you're doing. And and just, you know, like check the heartbeat <laughs> of the baby. Make sure it's okay. I'm like, okay. What if the baby is breached? She was like, well, nothing. So we deliver it. You know, we just check on the baby that it's okay. And yeah. it was just like, it brought so much ease into like me. And then I see women who are like, you know, they're like 40, you know, 40 weeks or 41 weeks and, you know, two days and they get like induced because like the placenta will get old. And I'm like, I don't think nature is that stupid, you know, that it would like, you know, leave the baby inside of you. Like I, I'm, I'm talking like majority. Of yeah. Course there are times that baby is not developing well. There is some danger. But let's talk about majority. So, and I, and I know you, you know the documentary. You know the business of being born. Totally. When I saw that, I am like, 
are you serious? I remember when me and my husband started talking about having babies and he was like, well, we will do home birth. And I'm like, you crazy. I will not do that. That is not <laughs> I need someone to be there. What if something happens? And you know, for me, I'm like, what if something happens to a baby? So I understand that a lot of women can have that fear. What if something happens to baby and I need help and we are home, right? But then when I started to educate myself, I realized that home birth it's safer for me and my baby and the environment I will be bringing her in. So yeah. I'm very curious about your like stand on and, and, and tell me like everything, please. Like your stand on inductions, your stand on like placenta getting old, your stand on like C-sections, you know, because I feel like how is it possible that, you know, before the, the babies would like survive, you know, and now like 35% of population needs C-section. <laughs> so we said induction, we said C-section. What was the third thing? Um, Placenta yes. aging, placental yes. aging. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So let's, I'll try to make this as sweet and simple for people as possible. First off, just to reiterate, it is not anybody's decision, but yours as to what happens to you and your baby but a part of taking responsibility. I mean, we could even look at the COVID experience. Part of taking responsibility for not getting the vaccine is if, let's say you get COVID and you die, somebody might realistically say, oh, if they had only had the vaccine, they'd be here. We don't know because you're dead and we can't go back and try it again. Like, well, we tried that, let's plan B now. Like, it doesn't work like that. So when we make decisions, um, we can talk about vaccines for children as a sort of a, a yes. preemptive part of yeah. this conversation. If you're going to decide to get vaccines for your kid, fair, that's your choice. As long as, as you have somebody who's giving you all the risks, benefits, alternatives, and giving you a realistic perception as to what the dick can and can't say about the quote, safety or efficacy. Now, most vaccines have not been demonstrated to be efficacious, meaning beneficial to many kids, especially when we're giving 72 doses now before the age of 18. Um, and the safety is questionable because we're not really talking about safety around vaccines. In fact, if you start to question vaccines, you're blocked on social media, You your videos get taken down on YouTube. And and so it's this, it's this kind of strange space that we're in around informed consent. Because if I can't talk to you about the realities of what we do and don't know, then I can't do my job as a bioethically uh, minded physician. So if you get vaccines and something bad happens to your kid, nobody's going to come in and save you the day. They're not going to say, let's unvaccinate this child or let's do something to help them. Let's give them a million dollars a year to support them through this neurologic disability. So with that in mind, I have a client who's had four C-sections, is now pregnant with her fifth. I'm waiting on her to go in labor. In fact, I'm going to go and sweep her membranes per request today um, because she's oh, she's approaching 41 weeks and she has four C-sections. She wants to have a home birth. But the reason she wants to have a home birth is that she has a psychological deep apprehension about going into the hospital system because her fourth baby was paralyzed from the neck down after the six-month vaccine visit at the pediatrician. And that baby's learning how to walk again. That baby has a feeding tube. That baby has a breathing tube. And it was perfectly healthy and then not healthy a couple of days after, after these vaccines. So the reason I illustrate that is that she had felt completely informed in her decision. And she still decided to go through with it because none of her other kids had issues. And now she's left to bear the burden of consequences as a result of this injury, which may or may not likely was due to the vaccines. 
So let's use that now, like from the standpoint of radical responsibility, you can make decisions on your own, but you have to own the outcomes of those decisions as well. C-section. A section is a great option on rare occasions. If there's no way for that baby to come out eventually without being harmed, and your goal is to have a living, breathing baby afterwards, then sometimes a C-section is helpful. Not 30 to 40% of the time, which is what our national average is. And most of the people that are perpetuating this narrative that C-sections are safe are not considering anything beyond healthy mom, healthy baby. If you and your baby leave the hospital, we consider our job well done. But what about the mental, emotional, or even spiritual trauma that happens during a C-section? What happens, how do we quantify the impacts to maternal and neonatal bonding? How do we quantify the issues that come with latching and breastfeeding? Or how like a painful C-section start for the rest of life? Not to mention the dangers of abnormal placental development in future pregnancies when you've had multiple surgery on your uterus. So... As a starting point for that conversation, if you've had a C-section and you want to have a trial of labor after C-section in order to have a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean, there is no way for me to say that you are absolutely safe. But is it more likely you're going to be safely birthing after a C-section vaginally than having something uh, consequential, you know, bad happening in future pregnancies as a result of doing a necessary C-section? The scale is definitely in favor of trying a vaginal birth for a vaginal birth after C-section. But everybody gets caught up in this data. And the issue with data, guys, is that these jar large data sets are not generalizable to anybody. You are not the average. Nobody is average. That's what the whole law of averages tell us. So you either fall below the average or above the average. To be exactly average is impossible for us to say, even if it's a very, very well done study. So... There's a second little nugget there to carry into conversation around induction of labor, which is actually related to this placental conversation. Yes, the placenta ages. Does that mean that the placenta just poops out suddenly at 39 weeks and we now need to rush the baby out? Absolutely not. There is absolutely zero logic there. As you said, nature would not be that stupid. And even though the placenta ages, supposed to age, like that's a normal part. That is not an indication that you need to have a, a, an induction or a C-section or whatever else. In other words, we don't need to intervene unless it's absolutely necessary. So this placental aging thing, if you look with an ultrasound, and the pros and cons of ultrasound are also one of those widely undescribed things in the United States. It's like we just ignore it altogether. But there is some data out of China that suggests that this routine, high-frequency, continuous wave um, ultrasound technology in the first trimester, especially before the organs are finished developing at the seven to eight-week mark, might be dangerous. But later in pregnancy, it's probably less likely to be dangerous. And you can absolutely look at the placenta. You can see where it's located. You can see, um, is it over the cervix? Is it uh, above the baby? Is it you know on the backside of the uterus? It can help us with versions and it can help us to know that. And when you look at it on serial ultrasounds, every two weeks in the third trimester, you'll see that it starts to turn whiter and whiter and whiter. It's starting to calcify. But that might also be what ultimately triggers labor, which we also don't have any idea about. We have no idea what happens whenever a woman goes into labor. So just because the placenta is starting to calcify does not mean that the baby's compromised. So without asking 
what is the consequence of this thing we're seeing on ultrasound? Then we fall into this this sort of rote, protocolized way of seeing things. And then we're naturally going to recommend induction because we're afraid of something happening versus the, the, the definite downside or detriment to your labor process by starting things artificially. So we covered C-section, covered this placental aging thing. And by the way, the way that we would be able to tell if the placenta pooping out, a couple monitoring techniques. First, if the baby's not growing at all, that's a placental issue, or it's a chromosomal nutritional issue. Um, one of those three things, usually. there are infections that can cause fetal growth issues. But the first is what's happening with that placenta. Mm -hmm. And if placenta isn't able to exchange nutrients and oxygen and CO2 between mom and baby, of course, we might have a, our, ourselves a problem. Is that um, sufficiently... Um, uh, prevalent that we should be inducing 30% of the time? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. So this induction conversation is really tricky because we had one giant study that came out called the ARRIVE trial. I want to say it came out in 2018. And the researchers, who knows what their actual intention was? We'd have to go back and really like see how they wrote up their paper. But the question could have been, is there a downside to inducing labor at 39 weeks without checking any other markers of fetal maturity. That could have been the question because sometimes issues do arise and it's like, hey, I'm worried about baby not going. I'm worried about there not being fluid. I'm worried about the baby's results on NST or some other biophysical profile or whatever. Is it okay to induce at 39 weeks? Because previous to that, it was 41 weeks when we would try to do everything we could to get you there. And what happened was they found that there was a lower C-section rate when we induced at 39 weeks. There was lower preeclampsia, lower hypertension. And by the way, the change in C-section rate was like 4%. It wasn't that much different. But there was a whole bunch of issues in how the study was conducted in the first place. If a mom is hell-bent on not being induced, she's not going to enroll in that study. And that's exactly what happened. It took a giant population of eligible women to even power the study sufficiently to find anything interesting. Um, I think it was something like 70% of women declined being a part of it. So that's not a generalizable population. So anybody out there who's being told the ARRIVE trial says it's safe, it's hard to generalize that to you because that doesn't reflect your own story or your own preferences. Um, and frankly, inductions tend to hurt a lot more. They tend to go a lot slower. They tend to um, just completely deplete the, the woman giving birth and her partner. And naturally, if you're being induced and things aren't moving along and you haven't been able to eat or drink or sleep for 48 hours, naturally, you're going to be like, what the hell? Let's just get this over with. And you're going to feel a lot more compelled to do something you otherwise wouldn't do if you were fully intact from a nervous system and a sleep and adrenal standpoint. So I'll stop there. I think people can probably derive from what I said as to what my positions are. But uh, frankly, I'm not a fan of induction. I'm not a fan of C-section. And I'm not a fan of, of even getting excited about the placenta unless there's actually a reason to be worried. And then we could do some further investigation. And 90% of the time, it's nothing. It's just that the placenta is starting to kill a bit early. Big deal. The baby looks fine on NST. The baby's moving and punching and kicking. Do we have to get this baby out? No, the baby's happy. So yeah. let this thing happen and evolve naturally. Yeah. I, um, you know, recently one woman who just had a baby that I know personally, she told me like, you are so brave, like screw the pain. I couldn't go through that, you know, and she got induction because she just wanted to get like the ball rolling, you know, 
And uh, when I when I heard that to get the ball rolling, I'm like, the baby, it's not ready. What are you rolling? The baby know when and how to get out. Like, you know, yeah. and I knew the moment that she said like, oh, I had the, you know, like I had the induction done. Um, I knew she will end up on a C-section. Like, it's just like, for mm. me, I'm like, I'm no doctor, but you know, after everything I've read, I'm like, how else this could finish, you know? And then- yeah. It's it's also like so fascinating to me. Tell me a little bit more about like um, the pain. You know, like I know you're male and you never, you know, did experience. I will never feel and, it. Yep, you'll never feel it. You can support whoever you want, but you will never feel that. What do you tell the woman that you work with when they are afraid of pain? Because listen, I I was like so scared of pain. I was like, I don't want to give birth. Like this is like I'm not doing it. You know. And then I did hypnobirthing and, and like everything you can like aesthetic birth, orgasmic birth. I, I in, you know, interviewed so many experts. Trust me, my birth was everything but aesthetic and orgasmic and, and <laughs> you know, like gentle, you know, me and my baby, we are good. We are perfect. You know, we were, you know, she was born in water at home safely um, in 12 hours, which I thought it was forever. And then my midwife said like, oh, that was fast. I'm like, are you freaking crazy? 12 hours is fast. She's like, yeah, for your first birth. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So the pain piece, the yes. pain piece. Uh, so I think that it's important for us to, uh, like this, this is super easy for a lot of people. They say, oh, here, do hit number thing, do whatever. There is a part of that that is absolutely true. It's a part of the mindset of going into the labor process. This is the thing we do quite a bit of investment in the Born Free Method, my program. Um, there's, there's, there's a difference between pain in that, like you were outside and you got stung by a bee and it hurts, right? Oh, that hurts. Why is that hurting? Versus the functional pain or work of the body generating this sensation of pain in the body because it's doing hard work. It's just like lifting heavy weights or some pain built up to your body's doing hard work. But it's also important to reframe this pain thing. We see pain as a stimulus that needs to be knocked out, right? That's why epidural blocks the pain signal to the brain. People think that that sounds very luxurious. But what about the pain? of of being disregarded, of being dismissed, of being not listened to, um, the pain of somebody forcing and compelling you to do things that is maybe not all that reasonable inside. Your intuition is telling you no, but you have to say yes. It's sort of like having sex with somebody just because you don't want them to hurt you. It's it's sort of this this submission, and there's actually some pain. Which we we could call it trauma, but it 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 um it's resurfaces later in a variety of ways. The other thing is that when a person doesn't feel supported, they don't feel seen and, and cared for, pain is actually far worse. So there's a reason that women in the home birth setting seem to be able to, I'm saying it in general, seem to be able to cope with the realities of this. And a part of that has been the preparatory process. They have a midwife or a doula or a doctor like me who's working with them on and on and on trying to get them to reimagine what this experience is. And whenever you're at the center, you know, you can, you, you know, the Sundance festival comes to mind. You're dancing for four days straight. You're doing sweat lodge morning and evening. You're not having anything to eat or drink, but there's people around you cheering you on. They want you to succeed. 
you aren't just a statistic. You aren't just being relegated to a room with a random number on it. And people are going to refer to you as the lady with preeclampsia or, oh, the VBAC. You actually have a name. You have a, like a, 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 this is your space. That actually, I think, even through the lens of, of our psychiatry friends and depression and anxiety, people who are depressed or anxious tend to have a lower threshold to take medicine. So when you're at the center and when people are around you, just like in the Sundance, in these circles, just cheering you on and just like letting you flow, letting you roar, there is something really magical that happens. And this is how the orgasmic birth or the pleasurable birth or the easy birth. Some people use the word that was an easy birth. It's not that it wasn't painful. It's that you were supported and you were being cheered on and centered in your care, which actually helps to ride those waves as your baby's coming millimeters and millimeters closer to being, you know, brought earthside by all of your hard work. So the the hospital-based approach is very much interventive. There's things happening to you which distracts you and takes you out of the center. And I think that that ultimately plays into this um, narrative that we have around pain. Pain is super complicated. You can have emotional pain, mental pain, spiritual pain, or physical pain. And all of those things probably arise in childbirth. And an epidural only takes away one of them, which is the physical sensation of pain. While you're watching Netflix, your baby's like, what is going on here? I can't get through because you're not moving. You're not like flowing with it. You haven't surrendered to process. In fact, you're you're pushing back against the process. And I think that makes a big difference. Yeah. And, and I cannot imagine even giving birth without having my husband. And I love my midwife. She arrived a little bit later, you know, but right there from the beginning, my husband literally holding my hand and me like scratching yeah. him, you know, and my doula. Like I, I, there were moments where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And she said, you can, and you are. And rubbing my mm. back, it's it's just like so life giving, and and there is just such a love and bond, you know, and respect that I have for her. And she was pregnant herself, by the way, you know, she was like twenty eight weeks pregnant. So it was such a beautiful, powerful experience. Nathan, like I said, I could be sitting literally here with you for hours and hours and hours, and I have so many questions. And I know that women who are listening, women who are listening, my podcast want to be empowered. They want to be informed. They want to be educated. They want to have the choices. So for those who, like I said, are pregnant, planning to get pregnant, have a baby and want to have a different experience, how they can learn with you, grow with you, get connected with you. What is the best way? Yeah. So I used to take a lot of private clients and I was realizing that you know, people are paying me a lot of money hourly. It's about $400 for 45 minute consult. And that's because I don't work with insurance because they don't pay for what I do, which is spending a lot of time with people getting to know them. Um, and so since I found that people were just going broke on that process, what Sarah Rosser, who's a farm midwife down in Tennessee, what she and I decided to do was launch a program called the Born Free Method, which covers absolutely everything that you could ever ask us. <laughs> about um, from preconception all the way through postpartum, all the lifestyle modifications to prevent the thing from happening again that happened in your first pregnancy, like gestational diabetes. We get into the risks, benefits, alternatives to every intervention under the sun. I would say for your listeners, that's probably the very, very best resource. And depending on when this episode goes live, we're going to be adding a bunch of new content. So um, for those who are interested, you can go to bornfreemethod.com 
book a call and um, we'll get you enrolled. Basically, when you book a call, it's like applying to enroll because we don't take everybody. We want people like you who are really interested in engaging with this in a responsible way, um, realizing there is no guarantee in this process. But looking at the, the bell curve, law of averages, if you can get yourself below the average, you're going to have a much greater chance of having as much autonomy in your childbirth experience as possible. So um, bornfreemethod.com is where people could find that. Or if you go to Nathan Riley OBGYN on Instagram, everything I have is is uh is on my Instagram landing page as well. Mm, it's fantastic. Again, Nathan, thank you so much for everything you're doing because you are truly shifting the balance generationally. And uh, I am excited to keep learning with you, growing with you. And maybe one day when I get some sleep, you know, I can start thinking about the baby number two. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. Please, please reach anytime. <laughs> thank you for everything. You have a great day. All right, you too. Take care.